As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we've been together for a while. Yeah, over a decade now. Yeah. And so I think when you're together for that length of time, you've kind of got to find ways to entertain yourself. And I... <laughs> I have to believe that's what's been going on lately at reading time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Kat and I both like to read, um, but but we're both easily distracted. I cannot have outside sounds or distractions in any way. I have to be just focused on the book. But my sweet love has recently decided that he wants to tootle through the room that I'm in while I'm reading, screeching, meet me at our spot. <laughs> it's a good song. She's a, she has excellent vocal control. <laughs> well, you got even with me last night. I'm in bed uh, reading uh, like the third autobiographical account of Andy Kaufman's life. Yeah, you've been obsessed. And I was deeply engrossed in what I was reading. And last night, uh, Kat starts asking me questions like, do you ever want to own a hardware store? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't to distract you. I was just wondering. Did you ever want to own a hardware store? And then she said, do you ever dance with your hands when you're pooping? I mean, I'm curious about you. Uh-huh. Uh, the odd thing is, yes, I do. I, <laughs> it's actually less a dance and more of a pantomime. Oh, yeah. Okay, beautiful. I always wanted to be a pooping mime. I don't know. You're not that quiet. Even when I turn the fan on? <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> it was almost exactly 20 years ago. When mysterious emails started showing up in people's inboxes, uh, the author of the email claimed to be a time traveler who was stuck in the 21st century. Do you remember that? Do you remember this happening? No. Well, he asked for specific pieces of hardware, including from a hardware store. Yeah, from a hardware store, and one of the pieces he needed specifically was a dimensional warp generator to help him return to his own time. Did someone get it for him? Yes. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember this happening. Is that like a flux capacitor? <laughs> yeah. I got to admit that when I when I heard about this, um, it captivated my imagination. Oh. Not that I really believed the guy was a time traveler, but I thought it was just a really cool concept. You know, you get trapped in time and immediately you go to spamming emails. <laughs> To get help. You should go to Craigslist, silly. Yeah. Well, there, that would even be, have been better, probably. Most people thought, of course, it was just uh, some guy having fun, maybe an internet prank or something. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, it was something else entirely. Oh. And here's what the email said. There were several of them, but this is one of the first ones that, that went out. Hello, I'm a time traveler stuck here in 2003. Upon arriving here, my dimensional warp generator stopped working. I trusted a company here by the name of LLC Lasers to repair my Generation 352 uh, 3350A watch unit, and they fled on me. I'm going to need a new DWG unit, preferably the rechargeable AMD wristwatch model with the GR779 induction motor, four 180-200 warp stabilizers, 512 gigabytes of SRAM, and the menu-driven GUI with the front panel XID display. I will, I will take well, it's amazing to me that you can get a time machine to work with 512 gigabytes. In 2003, <laughs> that must have seemed astronomical. <laughs> he goes on to say, I will take whatever model you have in stock as long as it's received certification for being safe on carbon-based life forms. In terms of payment, I don't have any galactic credits left. Payment can be made in platinum, gold, or 2003 currency upon safe delivery of the unit. Please transport the unit in either a brown paper bag or box to below coordinates on Monday, July 28th at exactly 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the dot. A few minutes prior will be okay, but it cannot be after. If you miss this time frame, please email me. And then he gives the coordinates, latitude, north, 40, you know, whatever. Uh, and he says, the elevation is 96. Warning, do not attempt to transport item by regular means of teleportation. They are monitoring and will redirect the signal. I do not care how you have to get it here. Just do it in a way that no spying eyes will possibly be able to redirect the transference. It is very important that you be able to monitor the transfer. Although those coordinates are a secure guarded area, these channels through email are never secure. Unfortunately, it is the only form of communication I have right now. After the unit has been sent, please email me at, and he gives an email address, info at federalfundingprogram.com with payment instructions. Do not reply directly back to this email. Thank you. And then there's just like a series of random letters that looks like a name. It's like A-N-T-I-C-I-P-A-T-I-O-N-S-L-T-K-A-K-T, and then W, like it's a middle initial, and then I-V-A-D-W, you know, just a bunch of gobbledygook. Anyway, it baffled a lot of people, mm. probably most, and it also intrigued them as well. And there were several theories as to what this was all about. Number one, uh, it was an elaborate scam for uh, data harvesting, early data ha harvesting. Because again, this was like the early 2000s, an attempt to collect deliverable email addresses. And some experts pointed to the strange nonsense letters at the bottom of the email speculating that if somebody did reply 
to the email, these letters could indicate to the original sender what address he had originally contacted you at. Okay. Another theory was it was a hacker scam to load some type of virus onto your computer. Some say when they went to the uh, federalfundingprogram.com website, which the email had the, as a contact, right. um, they claimed that a uh, .exe file was automatically downloaded to their computer, but nobody was able to say if it did anything or mm -hmm. what it was all about. Uh, the number three speculation, it was just a joke. Number four was uh, the guy sending it is mentally ill. And number five... It really is a stranded time traveler. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We have to include that one. I so wanted it to be number five. There was a guy named Dave Kaplan who got this email and he reached out and he actually received a call from the author of the emails. And this was in an email that he sent to somebody else who, uh, I think it was on some message board they had connected about this, uh, this topic. He said, quote, we spoke for 12 minutes. He sounded serious, yet I can't take it serious, but I really don't know. It's turning into a serious head fuck. Excuse the expression. I didn't ask how he got my number, but probably the who is registry. Anyway, I played it straight. My major theme was that he was generating too much attention with all the emails, too much to continue my action on his part. I was uh, sympathetic to his plight. I mentioned the shop break-in and some other material familiar to me from the uh, Dave Hill postings. And we'll get to Dave Hill. He oh, was okay. one of the people that was really in instrumental in fleshing out what this was all about. He, he brought up the agency that is thwarting him and harming him. Sounded like paranoia to me. He claims to have no advanced technology. He was unaware of the eBay auctions that offered dimensional warp generators. Some people, as a joke, mm -hmm. to kind of build on what they thought was his joke, developed eBay listings to sell these dimensional warp generators. Oh, I see. He goes on to say, I was hoping he was a sci-fi writer just looking for material. I still don't have a handle on him. But if he was a crazy paranoid, I was able to put him off fairly easily. Granted, I don't have a lot of experience with this type of thing, but I expected more intensity and tenacity. He could be just messing with heads. Now, the guy Dave Hill I mentioned, he received the email and Dave Hill was a, maybe he still is, a computer programmer living in Iowa. And according to a story that appeared in Wired, uh, he said, quote, it was just so weird. I had to respond. I sent him a message, message saying I could get him what he wanted. Uh, so he created an online store. He built an entire store oh, offering a variety of these sci-fi like items that the emailer, uh, who called himself Bob White, by the way, needed. He even went as far as to ship an old hard drive motor disguised as a warp generator to the address that was provided by Bob White. A few days later, White sent an email acknowledging receipt of the, quote, warp drive and offered his gratitude. He was then asked if he could help get other items on his list. And that's when Dave Hill decided to stop right there. According to the Wired article, Dave said, quote, I expected him to tell me at this point it was all a joke and he'd give me a punchline. Instead, I started to worry that this person might be challenged by reality and deserved sympathy and support. Mm. So he kind of stopped punking him Got at it. that point. It turns out that Dave's feelings were correct. An investigation that a Wired article revealed was that the time travel spammer was not joking. He was serious in his quest for technology to send him back in time. After following the trail of internet clues, they determined that Bob White, the time-traveling spammer, as he became known, mm -hmm. is actually a guy named 
Robert Robbie Tadino. At the time, he was 22 years old, a man from... Hi, Howard. He was a 22-year-old man from Woburn, Massachusetts, and Wired got a hold of him and interviewed him on the phone. Uh, he admitted to sending over 100 million of these messages. Wow. He said, quote, it almost seems worthless now because the people who are monitor monitoring my every move always seem to win. But it's the only form of communication I have right now. Also interviewed was his father, Robert Tedino Sr. And he said he was concerned that people were... He was concerned that there were malicious people preying on Robbie's, quote, psychological problems. Right. And had bilked him out of money. He said, quote... What bothers me is that some people are trying to sell him equipment and take advantage of him. He's invested a lot of money into it, and he's being hurt by it. But Robbie insisted that, quote, I'm perfectly mentally stable. Well, yeah. And he truly believed that time travel technology was out there somewhere. Quote, a lot of people say this stuff I talk about is crazy and out of this world, but I know for a fact that it is true and does exist. Untrained minds may disagree with me, but they don't have access to the sources that I do. Now, a few months before all of this happened... Mm -hmm. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts had slapped legal action against Robbie for spamming. In August of uh, 2001, they ordered Robbie's company, RT Marketing, to stop sending fraudulent emails. Uh, there were advertisements for free government grants and detective software. Uh, he agreed to pay $5,000 fine and to halt sending misleading and deceptive uh, emails. Just a couple of months later is when the first wave of time travel spam hit the Internet. Got it. Now, again, according to the Wired article, he said, quote, there are forces that are constantly monitoring and anyone who tries to send something to those coordinates will get blocked. But certainly intergalactic couriers have the means to deliver the stuff to me. And I'm sure if I pursue it, I could get something out of that. Now, shortly after this article by Wired was published in August of 2003, he was reportedly upset that his identity had been revealed. Uh. He claimed that uh, that was the reason why he failed to obtain equipment that he needed is because now everybody knew who he was and they knew how to block his, you know. Right. Following the Wired expose, Tadino was accused of being allegedly responsible for what is called a Joe job against three websites that had linked to the Wired article. What does that mean? Well, what he allegedly did, well, he was mad that Wired had done this, and mm -hmm. then there were major websites that had reposted the article. And it's alleged that he sent out um, a series of spam emails, ironically advertising anti-spam software. Oh. <laughs> and in, in the return addresses, he had listed the websites that had linked to the article. And this caused the sites to be flooded with complaints and notifications of undeliverable mail. So it's kind of like a large-scale corporate uh, ordering pizzas to someone else's yeah. house. It's like digitally toilet papering someone's house. <laughs> According to one site, they received nearly 350,000 bounced messages. Wow. Now, he never confirmed nor denied the accusation. So the question remains, was he a guy who was just challenged by reality? Yes. As, as his dad said, or was that just an excuse to try to get him out of trouble and that this was just a giant prank on his part? 
My sources were Ranker, Wired, Wikipedia, and Hoaxes.org. It sounds like a lot of effort to me for someone who's just pranking. I mean, especially when you consider that there was legal action involved and, you know, it just seems like there maybe he didn't have the control over it that I would think that someone who was just pranking might have had. Interestingly, soon after this event, he started another marketing company and started spamming again. And at the writing of that story, uh, the Massachusetts, Commonwealth of Massachusetts had not decided what they were going to do yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a complicated story. I remember I got one of those emails. Oh, really? And, and I was just really fascinated by the concept. Well, if you got one, then you still have it because you've yeah. never deleted an email in your entire life. That's true. My account, my original email account that I signed up for, it, it, Hotmail, tell you how mm-hmm. long ago that was. <laughs> Um, I stopped deleting messages in that account in 2005 Yeah, and I haven't counted like, like the junk folder. I don't know how many are in there, but there's, it says I have like 48,000 emails. Yeah. It's very upsetting. It makes me feel important. (laughs) And now that thing in the middle. Hey, here's a bizarre fact that you can throw in at your next cocktail or dinner party. Did you know that there are roughly 6,495 mammal species worldwide? And out of that 6,495 species, 1,386 of them are bats. That means that bats make up 21% of all the mammals in the world. So it was either listen to us or that learn to speak French in just 10 days podcast. Slacker. This is the Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Got an email from Zach. He said, JG, I stand in solidarity with you on your dishwasher loading judgment that you endure. <laughs> this is a while ago. Yes. I guess Zach's catching up. I had talked about how I, I really, I, I feel uncomfortable when I'm loading the dishwasher if you're hovering around in the kitchen because you hovering around you 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 either uh, make snide comments about how I load the dishwasher or uh, you just look at me disapprovingly Zach says I too cannot nay will not load the dishwasher while my partner is near out of fear of said judgment (laughs) (laughs) that said thank you both for what you do my partner and i love your show your friend in dishwasher loading solidarity zach thanks zach that was beautiful i think we need to start a self-help group no i would agree (laughs) why is it so hard (laughs) oh man all right i'm ready for your story what you got for me Today, we're going to talk about Chris Lemons. And thanks so much, by the way, to Shannon for telling me about uh, watching Last Breath on Netflix, uh, which, oh, shit, our parking sessions expired. <laughs> um, <laughs> on Netflix, this documentary, you and I are going to watch it today. Okay. And after I tell you the story, you'll understand why. Chris Lemons was a saturation diver. Now, saturation diving, I didn't exactly know what it is, so in case you're in that same boat, here we go. Saturation diving is diving for periods long enough to bring all tissues into equilibrium with the pressure of the inert components of the breathing gas. So it's a diving technique that allows divers working at great depths to reduce the total time spent undergoing decompression. Okay, so they don't get the bends. That's right. 
but they stay at that heavy pressure for longer periods of time. Saturation divers can do construction and demolition work at depths of up to a thousand feet or more below the surface of the ocean. Wow, a thousand feet. Mm. Holy crap. The pressure just must be incredible at that depth. Yeah. So it's September of 2012, and Chris was leaving for a job. Chris would be part of a three-man team sharing a sat chamber with three other teams for a month aboard the 348-foot vessel Topaz. These kinds of jobs would keep him away from his home and his fiance for weeks at a time. So Chris, along with colleagues Dave Uasa and Duncan Alcock, were working together at the Huntington oil field. The three transferred into a diving bell, which is the smaller vessel for transport to the deep sea. So they have their big boat on top. They get into a diving bell. It lowers them into the, you know, the sea. And then they have these cables that will allow them to branch off from the diving bell. So this diving bell is lowered to about 250 feet below the topaz. Lemons and Yuasa would descend a further 50 feet to replace some pipe on a structure resting on the seabed. This is according to Reader's Digest. The men would be connected to the bell by what they call umbilical cords that are attached to their diving suits. And the two-inch thick cluster of tubes carry air, communication lines, power for the lamps and cameras on their helmets, and hot water to keep their suits warm. Mm. So Chris was in the middle of a repair when he heard an alarm. That's not probably a happy sound at that depth? Well, I guess at that depth, they're constantly doing tests and they're constantly checking things. So sometimes alarms just go off and they're like, oh yeah, never mind. This is just something we're working on. It's kind of like when we first moved into this building. <laughs> Every single day, the uh, alarm would go off. <laughs> And we just finally gave up on leaving the building. So if it I catches think, on fire, yeah. Well, they had to adjust to the new hot temperature because you, you had moved because in. Because you had moved no, in. No, you can't say because me, because I, you knew where I was going and you ruined it. It's because of you uh-huh. and your hotness. Okay. You're steamy hot. Uh-huh. Danger, danger. High voltage. The men had a constant line of communication with their dive supervisor up above through an earpiece in the helmet. And Craig, the dive supervisor, instructed the divers to get out of the structure, get on top of it, and get back to the diving bell as quickly as possible. The ship above was enduring 35-knot winds. That's not terribly out of the ordinary for that time of year, but the plan was to be working for six hours. But Craig's request was urgent. He even included they should leave their tools. Just abandon your work, get up to the diving bell, ahora. So Chris and his co-worker started climbing hand over hand up their umbilical cords toward the top of the structure. Above, the support ship, the Topaz, had suffered a dynamic positioning system failure. Now, the dynamic positioning is something I didn't know was a thing. What is it? I don't know what that is. It's an option, like instead of using an anchor... It's a computer-controlled system that automatically maintains the vessel's position by using its own propellers and thrusters. So it can, we got to go this way, we got to go this way, we got to, so it's constantly adjusting to keep the same position. But since that system had failed, the ship started to drift and Chris and Dave were being dragged by their umbilical cords. So as the ship on the surface moved, the cords tightened. Oh, oh. The team members in the bell had no extra slack to give the divers. 
And to make things worse, Chris's cord got caught on a metal outcrop on the structure they were working on. I'm starting to feel extremely claustrophobic right now. Can you get to the part where this ends happily, quickly? It does end happily, right? So Dave returned to Chris to help, but he was being dragged back, flailing to the bell. Now, inside the bell, the umbilical cords were being pulled so tight, they were bending a stainless steel rack off the wall oh, inside the diving bell. God. And the people inside that were trying to help pull the divers in knew that if that rack came off the wall, they would be pushed into the ocean. And by way of a giant rack being pulled at a hearty speed, so probably not a great thing. First, the communications cable snapped. Then the rest of the cord ripped. Chris's lifeline was completely severed, and he dropped back down to the seabed, nearly 100 meters, approximately 300 feet down, into absolute darkness. Chris turned on his emergency air, but there wasn't even enough light to read the gauge to see how much oxygen he had. Meanwhile, Dave, who cannot help Chris, is making his way back to the bell. So imagine this, your ship's drifting, the diving bell's nowhere in sight. Your coworkers are gone. It's two in the morning. You're 330 feet below the surface. There's zero light. It's 39 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what, about four degrees Celsius? It's chilly. And it's estimated Chris would have about eight minutes of air. So in the diving bell, they're frantic, screaming, you know, I've lost a diver. This is dangerous, and they know it. The ship is now some 700 feet away, and the crew is desperately trying to steer back. But without a positioning system, it took two people to manually coordinate the thrusters. Dave, at this point, had made it back to the bell, and he was poised to retrieve lemons if they could get back into position. So Chris, at this point, has dropped back down to the seabed, and he thought his best chance for survival was to find the structure that they'd been working on. At least that way, his crew would have a chance of finding him. But of course, he's got no navigation. It's pitch black. I just can't imagine what would, what would be going through my mind if I was in a situation like that. I'm sure they've trained for those potential situations, but just the same. Actually going through it must, must have been just the most horrifying experience. Absolutely terrifying. Next only to maybe being cut adrift in outer space. Right? It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> you have nothing to work with. The only thing that Chris had going for him is he knew that he couldn't be too far from that structure. Mm. Without much idea of really where he was going, he just started making kind of small steps with his arms outstretched, trying to find something that might give him an idea of where he is. And at last... His hand, stretched out, did touch metal, and he knew he'd found the structure that they'd been working on and uh, made his way around it until he found a way to climb up on top of it. How far was he from the structure? Unclear. But he knew at this point he had probably used up about three minutes of gas. Okay. Above, the Topaz's positioning system had been restarted. That was the only thing they could think to do. And it was functional once again. Basically, did you turn it off and turn it back on again? <laughs> and the Topaz's remotely operated underwater vehicle was sent down to go and look for lemons. But at this point... It had been 25 minutes. Uh The remotely operated underwater vehicle sent back pictures of Chris lying on the metal grill of the structure they'd been working on. 
His hands seemed to be twitching, and they were unable to determine if it was him moving or if his limbs were just moving in the current. Mm. They knew that his emergency air was out. And and by quite a long time. Yes. Finally, the ship is back over the dive site, and Dave dropped back down, and the crew members expected that they would be retrieving a body. Dave found lemons. He was on his back, and Dave hauled him to the diving bell. Another one of Chris's fellow divers, Duncan Alcock, was waiting to help. You're not going to say anything about his last name being Alcock? Duncan Alcock. I was, yeah, I... I was finding it hard to work that into a story that was so riveting. Mm-hmm. I was gonna. I was hoping maybe there would be an, an opportunity later in the story. Okay, okay. We'll keep going as though okay. his name is not Duncan Alcock. So Chris is brought up to the diving bell. There's water in his helmet. His skin is blue. It had been 35 minutes after he turned on his emergency supply of air. Wow. Alcock started CPR, and unbelievably, after two breaths, Lemon suddenly inhaled. His eyes opened, he blinked, and when asked if he was all right, he gave a little thumbs up. Lemon's was groggy, but remarkably seemed himself. Now, as we know, he had eight minutes of air. It's been 35 minutes. They got Chris back to the ship's sat chamber. He got medical attention, and of course, the divers had to depressurize because they could, you know, like tootle about. So for three days, they had to depressurize on the topaz. And they talked about what happened. Of course they did. How lemons survived and without brain damage is unknown. Could it have been something to do with... Now, the warm water system that was supposed to keep him warm, did that fail? Oh, yeah. Okay, so he was in 39-degree Fahrenheit water. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of stories about people who fall through the ice... And, uh, you know, I've been clinically dead for 30 minutes or more mm-hmm. in some cases. But because of the cold temperature, they were able to revive them. Do you think that had something to do with it, maybe? They suspect that that might have something to do with it. Now, he didn't die and, and was revived. But they th- believe that because the oxygen in the diver's gas is about four times richer than the normal air, mm. that his body might have been saturated with oxygen uh. enough to keep him going. So he wasn't breathing in oxygen, but his body had just stored it. So maybe that worked. Plus, like you said, the hypothermia could have put his body into shutdown mode, which would have uh, sent oxygen to his organs from his right. from his bits. Incredible. Chris didn't have any permanent damage from this ordeal. He was able to go home and relay the story, I'm sure, to his fiance's horror. And three weeks later, Lemons was declared fit. So he went back to the North Sea uh, to finish the job with his two co-workers. Wow. And of course, this is a civilian position, so he didn't even get a purple heart. <laughs> no, but that. his entire body was purple. Probably, so yeah. I suppose that right. kind of counts. Yeah. Now, fun fact... On these ships, the saturation dive ships, there's no privacy. There are closed caption TV cameras on 24-7 in every bit of these ships, so including you, you, the bathroom okay. and the shower. Right. So there's no undersea pooping privacy. That's right. But it is how we have as much footage as we have that was used for the documentary Last Breath that Shannon watched and then wrote me about. Thank you so much, Shannon. This story was incredible, and I cannot wait to watch the documentary. Thanks, Shannon. That That's an amazing story yeah. of uh, survival and his buddies 
not giving up hope, right. even though it looked like pretty bleak chances this guy was going to survive. And if he did, he would probably have some sort of brain damage. But that's incredible. Yeah, they had no thought that they were actually going to rescue him. It was just that they were going to be collecting a body. Plus Duncan Alcock. Duncan Alcock. I got my information from readersdigest.com, from businessinsider, bbc.com, inews.co.uk, and Shannon. She's gone, I hear. She drifted out to sea. I hope she's got an umbilical cord. Oh, this is exciting. We're just about to push the upload button for the uh, New York live show, Live at Caveat in uh, Lower Manhattan. That is going up on Patreon to our patrons as a thank you for their support. You can become a patron at Patreon anytime and reap those benefits. Go to theboxofoddities.com and all of our information will be there for you to join and support. And we appreciate you. And we're very much looking forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books. As I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.